Good morning, church. Today we are in part two of a message series that I'm so excited about. It's, it's called David, and we've been taking a look at a little shepherd boy who became ancient Israel's, perhaps ancient Israel's greatest king. Last week, we saw him as a giant slayer. We saw him as a mighty warrior. Today, we see the flaw in David. And uh, this message is relevant, I believe, for all of you, either in this moment in your life or in this season in your life, or it will be relevant concerning your future But I've titled this message, Desperate Days, and you're thinking, well, I hope it's not real relevant for me. Well, how many know that in different seasons of life, there's going to be days that are desperate? And if there hasn't been desperate days in your life, well, I'm sure that in your future, there's going to be some days that are considered kind of desperate. But listen to the words that King Saul said to his son, Jonathan. As long as the son of Jesse lives, that's David, as long as David lives on this earth, and King Saul says to his son, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him. Now send and bring David to me. For he must die. I don't know, but it sounds like a desperate day to me when the king orders are for your life. So, last week, we took a look at David. My trust is in you. My Lord and my God, my trust is in you. My hope is in you every day. How do we go from a man who has trust in the Lord to when he finds out the king is after him, he runs and flees? Now think about this. Let's not be too hard on David. Because I'm sure in your life, there were moments when you were ready to face the giants in your life. And then moments later, you were running from your king. And that's David's life. One moment, he's down in the valley facing this giant. Seven years later, he's fleeing from the king. Now, how does that happen? Well, we know that there's an enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy is great at using emotions. We're going to see David at this time in his life. He's angry. He's fearful. And he's lonely. He feels isolated. And those emotions, they're called killer giants. 
killer giants, these emotions, if they're not dealt with, have a way of making you fall into a downward spiral. Now, in recovery programs, they use the acronym HOLT. Anybody know what HOLT? The acronym HOLT. H stands for hungry. A stands for angry. L stands for lonely. T stands for tired. You got it. And when you're tired, you're lonely, you're angry, or you're hungry. Those are warning signs that you could easily go into self-destruction. Well, David's at a point where warning signs are going off. And these emotions have the potential, as I have seen, to undermine and uproot some of the most dedicated, loyal, devoted, disciplined people I have ever known. I have actually seen devoted, disciplined, loyal people Lovers of God not deal with these emotions properly and their faith is uprooted from them. These emotions have a way to crash through boundaries that we set. We all set, we all have, hopefully we all have boundaries in life. We know we can only go so far. But these emotions, if they're not dealt with properly, can crash through those boundaries. Boundaries of moral and spiritual things. Hopefully we have guardrails set up to guide our lives. But these emotions can crash through even guardrails. Guardrails that we have set up to protect relationships, finances, Spiritual, professional. And what happens is, let me ask this though. Let me go back to this for a moment. If I were to ask you, what's your biggest regret in life? Think for a moment. If I were to ask you, what's your biggest regret that you have in life? Usually, your biggest regret has come from a time when you've been very angry, super lonely, or very afraid. And you acted on impulse. Instead of inquiring of the Lord, you just took matters into your own hands and you found yourself doing something that you never ever thought you would be doing. Thus starts the downward spiral. This is what we're going to see in David's life. The downward spiral. When we deal with anger, when we deal with fear, when we deal with loneliness, sometimes there's this panic. Sometimes we want to numb the pain. Sometimes we just want to feel better. We, we just need to relieve the tension and, and we'll ignore the boundaries and the guardrails that we have set up for our lives and we'll do things that we never ever thought we would do. We would go to places on the computer we thought we would never visit before. And now we have condition and response. When these things had brought relief, 
whenever we feel loneliness, fear, anger again, we go back to those things we said we would never do, and we find ourselves doing them again because we have a relief. We have a numbness to the pain. There's a joy. There's a release in this tension. When, whenever I find myself going for the chocolate, you know what? It's like, all right, are you angry? Are you isolated? Are you fearful? And what happens is, that's how habits and addictions are formed. Through condition and response. Things that we never thought we would do, we find ourselves doing because it numbs the pain. It relieves the tension. It doesn't make us feel isolated. It doesn't make us feel lonely. It gives us a sense of relief. And before you know it, the thing that you thought was going to less complicate your life, it makes it even more complicated because now on top of the fear, the loneliness, and the anger, you have guilt, regret. Life's become more complicated. You become more angry. You become more isolated. You become more fearful. What was it? What happened in David's life? One moment he's running to his giant. And the next moment he's dealing with these powerful emotions. Well, we know the story so well that there are two huge Colossal failures in David's life. And I'm not going to be talking about Bathsheba today. Well, if you're not going to be talking about Bathsheba, that isn't, yes, that was one of his huge mistakes, failures. But there's another failure in David's life that's sort of often overlooked that I want to bring your attention to today. And let me give you the background, the backdrop for this colossal mistake that David makes in his life. Last week, we saw him as the one who killed the giant. And at the age of 15, everybody in Israel knows his name. He's a legend. They're singing about him. Saul has slain his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. The guy's a legend. And of course, King Saul becomes jealous. They attribute David with tens of thousands. They only attribute me to a thousand. And all of a sudden, the king became very aware that David had a lot of potential. David was very influential. And the king realized that he had a problem on his hand. And David realized, if I can get him to be a part of my family, then I'll be able to control him. So as a couple years passed, David, as King Saul, in promise to whoever killed the giant, he would give his daughter to to, to that man, David says, here, King Saul goes to David, here, here, I want you to have my daughter to be your wife. Married into the king's family. 
You know what David does? David says, no, I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to be your son-in-law. My family isn't very famous. My family's not wealthy. And, and, And David refuses the king's offer of his oldest daughter. The people are like, wow, he's so humble. Oh, man. And David, through that, becomes more powerful with the people. Now, King Saul realizes that he even has a bigger problem on his hands. So what does King Saul do? King Saul gives him opportunities to go fight battles for him when the odds are against David. King Saul says, I got to get rid of him somewhere. Let me send him out into battle where the odds will be against him and the Philistines will kill him and my problem will be solved. You know what the problem is? David came home every day victorious. Never came home defeated. And then the king's other daughter, Michael, becomes in love with David. David becomes in love with her. They get married, and now the king's thinking, he's a part of my family. Now I'll be able to control his influence, his power. But the king thought wrong. You know why? Because David became very influential with the king's daughter and also the king's son, Jonathan. And he and Jonathan formed such a friendship, such a bond. As David's a part of the king's family, all of a sudden his influence went to the king's family. And now the king is even more frustrated. One day David is in the king's graces. The next day David's out of the king's graces. Before you know it, the king tries to pick up a spear, throw it at David. David escapes. He eludes. He throws another spear. David eludes, eludes it and escapes. And, and now the king is so frustrated. So he just wants David to be arrested. And every time the king sends his men to go arrest David, David knows about it. Because of the king's daughter, his wife, or because of the king's son, Jonathan. So every time the king's plan spoils, he just gets more frustrated, more angrier. Till he got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. The new, moon, or the new moon festival was at hand, and, and the king had a banquet. Listen, it's a big deal to sit at the king's table. Did you know that? If you're invited to dinner by the king, that's a big deal. And I don't know about you, but one day I'm looking forward to sitting down with the king of kings and the lord of lords at the marriage supper of the lamb. That will be a big deal, my friends. But guess who's not at that king's table? David. From time to time, David would skip the king's table. David, I mean, King Saul looked to Jonathan and said, where's David? Jonathan says, well, he went down to Bethlehem to have a festival with his family and makes up excuses. And at this point, Saul can't contain his anger any longer and I'm looking around to see yeah I'm going to give you a verse that every parent is very thankful that Pastor Todd didn't make your children learn this verse 
Every parent is so thankful. I thank God that Pastor Todd never gave this verse as a memory verse for my children. So if there's children here, you may want to cover their ears real quick. Saul's anger flared at Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Now, aren't you glad your children can come home quoting that verse from Sunday school? If you want to do something real interesting, look at other translations and other paraphrases of the Bible and, yep. You know what's even more awkward? Imagine if David's mother was there. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of mothers who bore you? The mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom. You see what King Saul's doing here? He's trying to control his son Jonathan. Jonathan, you're next in line to the throne. We want to keep this in the family. And as long as this son of Jesse, as long as David is alive, this, this will never be your kingdom. You, you will never inherit the throne. Now send and bring him to me. He must die. So Jonathan goes out and finds David and says, listen, man, I've never seen dad more angrier. You need to leave town. You need to leave country. You just need to get out of here. Now remember, David had been anointed king, but it wasn't yet time. And scripture says, David left. What happened to the young man who was willing to face the giant? but is now running from his king. I'll tell you what happened. David became angry. I risked my life for him. I risked my life for this nation. And this is the thanks I get. Remember when Jezebel went after Elijah and Elijah ran and he became afraid? David became afraid. David felt rejected, isolated, alone. He's all by himself and he just flees. Don't ever think anger, isolation, And fear aren't powerful emotions. And during this time in David's life, there's no record of him inquiring of the Lord for himself. He just takes matters in his own hands. And the first place he goes, he's desperate for food. So he flees to Nob. That's where the tabernacle was. That's where the priest was. Jerusalem wasn't yet established in Israel. The tabernacle would move from different places. It was at Nob. David goes to Nob and to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him. 
and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission or your instruction. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't think the king ever told him any instructions. And as for my men, <laughs> I've told them to meet me at a certain place. There were no David's men at this time. David was by himself. He was alone. He was, he was on the run. But what is David doing? David is going against his principles, his morals, because of being afraid, because of being isolated, because of being angry. David resorts to lying. There in the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the tablets were, thou shalt not lie. David knew the law. But David resorted to lying. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread. The bread that was on the table of showbread, the bread that was placed there every Sabbath that they would replace and then they would take and only the consecrated priests could eat the consecrated food provided for men who have kept themselves from women. And David goes to cunning. David basically says in Scripture, well, when I send my men out, you know, we keep them from women. And basically what he's doing, he's justifying that I'm here, I'm pure, I'm okay. Just give me the bread. And the priest gave him some of the consecrated bread. David is doing stuff he never thought he would do before. He had boundaries, he had guardrails, and these emotions have caused him to crash through the guardrails, crash through the boundaries, and he's doing things. Because he's taken matters into his own hands. Fear. Anger. Isolation. It will cause you to do some crazy things. Now David becomes desperate for a weapon. But before he asks for a weapon, there's a commentary in this passage in this, this story that's so interesting. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, an Edomite. He was Saul's head shepherd. The, the head shepherd, the king's head shepherd, was there in the tabernacle observing everything taking place that day. Remember that. Very important. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was so urgent. Yes, so urgent. The king's business was so urgent, he sent me out on this mission with nothing. So now I've come to you because do you have a sword or a spear? Isn't it amazing how we go into survival mode when we take matters into our own hands? And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. Now, what 
Isn't this interesting? The Bible says with every temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. And I believe God is trying to open David's eyes. Hey, David, the sword. Remember that day when you weren't running away, but you were running too? Remember that day when nobody else wanted to face the giant, but you were willing to trust in me? Remember the day when you uttered these words? All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you unto us. David, remember that day the sword of Goliath is here. Remember that day when you uttered those words? What about, is the battle mine now? But because of fear, anger, rejection, loneliness, the battle's not the Lord's anymore. The battle's mine, David says. And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah is, is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's, there's, no, there's no sword but that one. And David said, yeah, there's none like it. Give it to me. And David takes the sword. And the Bible says he goes to no other place than Gath. Now, does that ring a bell with you? Gath? Where was Goliath from? Gath. He goes to the very place of the giant whom he killed with the Goliath's sword. And now they all become suspicious of David. Hey, isn't that David? Hey, isn't that Goliath's sword? Isn't that David? Isn't he the one? Hey, and, and, and they become so suspicious that David, to spare his life, acts like he's crazy. And he begins to let drool just run down his beard. and He's just slobbering over. He's scratching at the door. He's acting like a crazy man. And the king of, of Palestine, the king of Adish, basically says, uh, there's so many men, other crazy men. I don't need another crazy man. And David, at this point, leaves Gath and goes to a place, a cave. A cave of Adullam. And there's psalms that are written about David's time in the cave of Adullam. Where he's depressed. Isolated. Fearful. Angry. What's taking place over his life. Through a series of events, he goes back to Jordan and the king finds out that David's in this area and the king calls his men together hey we got to go after Saul and Ahimelech remember Doeg the chief shepherd remember that chief shepherd who was there and saw all that Ahimelech did Doeg says to King Saul, yeah, you know, I was at the temple, at the tabernacle the other day, and David came in, and the priest, Ahimelech, inquired. He made sacrifices for the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath, the, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest, Ahimelech, the son of Ahitu, and his father's whole family, who were priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Listen, I want to tell you something. In the midst of fear, 
in the midst of anger, in the midst of loneliness, what you do, you think it only affects yourself. But there are always consequences that can affect many others. Saul said to Ahimelech, that priest, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword, inquiring, making sacrifices for, to God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does. And, and Himelech basically says, hey, you know, there's no one more loyal. There's no one highly respected. You know, uh, you know, let not the king's excuses for your servant or any of the father's family or servant. You know nothing about the whole affair. Da, da, da. And the king says to Ahimelech, you will surely die. You and your father's whole family. Because of conspiring against me, because of helping you and your whole family are going to die. Then the king ordered the guards at his sides to turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they didn't tell me. They didn't know he was fleeing. David hasn't done anything wrong. That's part of the anger in David. And the story goes, the guards wouldn't kill the priests. So the king ordered Doeg, and Doeg kills 85 priests, 85 priests, and then he goes to Nob and kills all the inhabitants, all the men, all the women, all the children, all the infant, got rid of all the cattle, all the donkey, all the sheep, wiped it out. And one of Himelech's sons was able to flee. He went to David. And he says, David, when my father gave you provision and gave you the sword, one of the king's servants were there. And that servant went back. And David goes, yeah, I know. I saw him there that day. And that servant went back. Doeg went back. The king's chief shepherd went back and informed the king of what my dad did for you. And David, my whole family is wiped out. And not only my family, but all those living at Nob. They're gone. The king killed them all. Wiped them all. Now, what makes David a man after God's own heart? Even amongst his failures, his lies. David utters these words. I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family takes full responsibility. I have sinned. I have acted irrationally. I have lied. And I'm responsible 
alone. If you keep reading about the life of David, in, in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, one of the first things you'll read is, David inquired of the Lord. 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 David realized his mistake. The consequences of his actions. He repents. And he goes back to doing what David knew. Inquiring of the Lord. Pastor Barney, you can come. So what do you do when you're lonely? Where, where do you go to find relief? Maybe you grew up in a home where your father had an anger issue and you're still in therapy because of that anger. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your mom had depression problems and self-medicated and, and you're still living with the consequences of the actions of a mother who gave you no attention. Maybe you're here full of regret because of how you acted out in anger or how you, when you were isolated and super lonely, you, you went to places you thought you would never go before. Or you're super afraid. And the thing that doesn't make you afraid anymore, things, well, man, you thought you'd never be doing. Pastor, what's, what's the answer, man? How, how do I deal with these emotions that are vying for my attention, that are competing, that are so strong, that will make me do things that I thought I would never do before? Well, I want to give you a, a writing from... David's journal, years later, David writes this, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge, a place of safety for the oppressed. A stronghold, a fortress in the, in the time of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Here's the problem. When we're dealing with these emotions, when we're taking matters into our own hands, we feel like the Lord has forsaken us. David got to the point where he thought the Lord had forsaken him. But David realized, God never forsook me. He was always with me. I just wasn't looking. Because I was so angry. I was so fearful. I felt so rejected, so isolated, so alone. In your despair, in your regret, in your guilt, in your anguish, God, hey, we have a way. God never forsook. God never forgot Kim. And God doesn't forget you. Would you bow your heads with me?
the Lord thy God. Lord thy God in the midst of me. In the midst of me. He is mighty. So mighty. He is mighty. So mighty. The midst of thee is mighty. Oh, he's so mighty. He's mighty. Oh, can we look up and see the Lord? I saw him high and lifted up with power and grace and authority. praying this morning, our heads are bowed. There's something about responding to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is convicting. And I never want to just leave a service without giving people a chance to respond to the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in your life. Is anger is fear is loneliness something you deal with one one of those three is it something could you just if that's you if the Lord's just dealing with your heart concerning anger issues being isolated being afraid just raise your hand to the Lord thank you yes thank you yes just just raise it so I'm telling you these are strong emotions that the enemy will use to seek skill and destroy to, to, for you to take things into your own hands and into your own manner. And instead of running to the giants, you're running from the Lord. And you feel forsaken. But God hasn't forsaken you. You are worthy. He loves you. He has a purpose and a calling for your life. 